0: Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, we got some good dads around here, I think. Uh, Hey, welcome to those of you who are on Church 307, to the guys over at the prison, to our friends at the jail. Today is going to be weird. We're starting a new series today called The Perfect Library, and we are talking about the Bible and about how the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library of books, and today I'm going to do something for you that my High school Bible teacher did for me when I was in high school. I went to a Christian school growing up, and at the end of one of our uh, school years, he said, Okay, we've been talking about the Bible all year. I want to just take an hour and tell you the whole story, beginning to end. Because I don't know about you, but um, if, you, if you're new to Bible reading or if you've been hearing bits and pieces Bible stories throughout your life uh, sometimes it's hard to put them all in a timeline beginning to end Genesis to Revelation and so today my goal is do what he did in an hour is it's gonna be a little more lecture style than normal but to give you a 30-minute version of the beginning to end story Genesis to Revelation and here's my invitation there's going to be some lulls in the story. Not all history, not all true stories are exciting all the way through, right? And here's what's going to be. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be tempted to think about what you're eating for lunch or whether or not you have a good dad. I don't know. Whatever you are going to be tempted to think about, focus in, right? Even on the lulls, even on the downtimes of the story, because I think it will help you in reading scripture and hearing Bible stories if you can put it all on the timeline, right? And so... Uh, Lean in, and really, I hope that through this, you get a better appreciation for God's big plan to redeem the world back to him, to bring things back to the way things were, and in doing so, maybe it will develop in you some faith and a desire to be a part of this big story. Uh, Most people, when they start the story of the Bible, they say, in the beginning, And that's because the Bible says in the beginning, but the reality is the story goes back before the beginning because God has no beginning. God is eternal and God created other celestial beings to be with him. And so God is the creator of all things. He creates other spiritual beings and then he creates physical beings and he created a physical world for those physical beings to live in. In the Genesis narrative, we read about the Garden of Eden in the middle of God's creation. And in the Garden of Eden, he placed the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. And everything was great there. It was a paradise. God walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. But he gave them one rule. Because he wanted to give these humans free will, because that is what loving people do, he gave them a choice. And he said, you can do, like, you got all freedom here in this garden. You've got everything you could ever want. You're hanging out naked together all the time. Sounds like a good father's day to me. And Adam and Eve in the garden, in the middle, they see the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says, you can do eat of any of the trees, tree of life. It'll give you life forever, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve rebelled. Why? Well, we got to introduce the villain of the story. The Satan, the serpent, the snake came and tempted Eve and she gave in to temptation and the, the, te- the fruit looked tempting and she took it and she ate it. And She had this desire to be like God. It wasn't good enough just to have a good relationship with him. I'm jealous of him. I want to be like him. And you'll see this theme of jealousy throughout the whole story of, of us acting against God's will because I want my will. So Adam and Eve rebelled. And they were kicked out of the garden. They started to have kids. God commanded them, be fruitful and multiply. And so they started having kids. But you see the effects of sin very early in the division that happens as a result of sin. Cain and Abel, in the infighting, even within a family, within people who are supposed to love each other, Cain and Abel fight. And then... Cain and Abel have kids and their kids have kids and Adam and Eve's other kids have kids and the the population of the world begins to grow, but the problem of sin just keeps hitting every one of them. And people rebel against God more and more until God says, I'm going to find somebody faithful, and I'm going to restart with that person. Maybe Adam was the problem. Maybe we used Adam as the seed to spread around the world, but maybe he was the problem. I'm going to find somebody faithful and restart with that faithful person, and maybe his descendants will be faithful to me. And to demonstrate the problem of sin, God restarted. And he did this by finding a faithful man named Noah. And you're going to notice throughout this story of God's identification of faithful people. That's who he's looking for. Even today, that's who he's looking for. He's looking for somebody faithful to use to make a part of his big plan to redeem things, to get things back the way they were in the garden. And God found Noah and he told Noah to build a big ark, a boat. And that he should put his family on this boat. So Noah is building a giant boat in the middle of a desert where there's no rain. Everybody's making fun of him. And Noah puts his family and two of every kind of land dwelling animal on this boat. And God sent rains. And it rained for 40 days and destroyed every living thing that lived on land. And when the rains ended and the flood subsided, Noah's family leaves the ark. And God tells Noah's family, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, he says, be fruitful and multiply. It's a restart. We're going back to Adam and Eve in the garden. You got this command again. Be fruitful and multiply. Spread around the world. But it didn't happen. Already they're rejecting God's commands. They hunker down in a place called Babel. Babylon, and they decided that they were going to build a tower, and they advanced in incredible knowledge. They built great knowledge and power in this time period, and they began to build pride within this, and they thought that they could be as good as God. So they started building a pyramid to heaven, and they were going to prove their incredible power by building a a pyramid, a tower that reached all the way to God. And God, recognizing the rejection of his commands, decided to confuse their languages. And the people of Babel could not even talk to each other. And so in the confusion, they spread throughout the world. God had to persecute them a little bit to get them to do what he had commanded them to do all along. And some went west and some went east. And the people of Shem, the descendants of Shem, stayed in the Middle East. One of those descendants of Shem was a man named Abraham. God saw in Abraham the faith that he wanted so much for his children. And, and he saw Abraham and he said, from you, you are going to be the one to carry on my line. My, my, to carry on this big picture plan to get people back to the garden. And so God told Abraham, he promised him that he would make him the father of a great nation. The problem was Abraham was an old man. And he and his wife, Sarai, had no children. And so they thought it was a little bit funny, but they kept moving on and stayed faithful to God until eventually God gave them a son named Isaac. And to demonstrate Abraham's incredible faithfulness, God told Abraham to take Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And on Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son to God. So Isaac carried a cross up Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. But just before Abraham sacrificed Isaac, God stopped him and provided a substitutionary atonement. Provided a replacement sacrifice and killed the ram in Isaac's place. Isaac, witnessing the incredible faithfulness of his father, carried on that heritage to his sons. He had two sons Jacob and Esau, who fought against each other similar to the way that Cain and Abel fought against each other. And you'll see families and brothers fighting against each other all through the story. And Jacob and Esau Esau fought to determine who would be the one to carry on this great promise to become a great nation, to receive the inheritance from their father. Well, Jacob wrestled with God, and he is the one who received this blessing. Became the father of the great nation that God had promised to Abraham. So Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Israel would become the father of Israel. Israel had 12 sons. His 11th son was a guy named Joseph. Joseph was was a blessed individual. He had great skills organizational skills he had the ability to dream dreams and to interpret those dreams one night he had a dream that said suggested that he would rule over all of his brothers joseph was his dad's favorite son was israel's favorite son and the other 11 brothers were jealous and fought against joseph in fact they sold joseph into slavery In slavery, he was accused of a crime he didn't commit, and eventually he was thrown into jail in Egypt. And it was there in jail that Joseph demonstrated his ability to interpret dreams for a cupbearer and a baker. And he interpreted the dreams for them. Eventually, the cupbearer was released from jail and went back to serving the king of Egypt, the pharaoh. And while he was serving the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh had a dream. And he asked all the wise men of his country, who can interpret this dream for me? But none of them could until the cupbearer said, I know someone who can. There's somebody in your jail named Joseph, and he could interpret your dream. So Pharaoh removes Joseph from jail and asks, can you interpret my dream? And Joseph says, yes, your dream means that you are going to experience seven years of plenty And then seven years of famine. So you should prepare, you should save food for seven years so that you have something during the seven years of famine. Well, during the seven years of famine, it is not only the nation of Egypt that was impacted, it was the entire region of the world that was impacted by this famine. And so who has to come to Egypt looking for food during the famine? But Joseph's brothers. So Joseph's 11 brothers come from Cana which is where their family lived, they come from Cana to Egypt looking for food. When they realize that Joseph is their brother, they are terrified, yet also excited. And Joseph forgives his brothers and welcomes them and his father into Egypt. Because by this point, the Pharaoh had made Joseph the second in command of all of Egypt. He was a powerful man. And so... Israel raises his family in Egypt and it is here that God blesses them with incredible fertility and the people of Israel grow to great numbers. In fact, a later Pharaoh would be threatened, would feel threatened by the incredible growth of the nation of Israel within the nation of Egypt and he feared that Israel would grow so large that they would overpower the Egyptians And so he forced the Israelites into slavery. And it was there in Egypt that they were forced into slavery. He also started to kill the young boys to try to reduce the fertility of the people. One of these young Israelite boys that was raised in Egypt was a boy named Moses. See, when Pharaoh was killing all the young Israelite boys, Moses' parents trusted God so much that they put their baby in a basket in a river and trusted that God would take care of him. And he did. Because Pharaoh's daughter found Moses in a basket in the river and raised Moses as her own. Moses became a prince of Egypt. And as a prince of Egypt, he, he, he grew up and he gained incredible knowledge and wisdom and was taught in all the ways of the Egyptians. Until eventually one day, he saw one of the Egyptian slave drivers beating one of the Israelite men. And as an Israelite, he had compassion on the man. And he defended him to the point that he killed the Egyptian slave driver. In fear of what would happen, Moses ran from Egypt And wandered in the wilderness. It was there in the wilderness that he encountered a burning bush. And God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And God told Moses, go back to Egypt. And when you get back, demand of the Pharaoh that he release the Israelites from slavery. And So after a long argument, Moses finally determines that he will go back to Egypt. And he demanded that the Egyptians set the Israelites free. They wouldn't do it until God performed 10 miracles through Moses, 10 plagues that forced Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery. So the Israelites wandered out into the wilderness that Moses had gone out into on their way to what God told them would be the promised land. It was actually a return to home. It was a return to the place that they had come from. They were going to go back to Canaan. And so they began wandering in the wilderness, and it was in the wilderness that God performed incredible miracles for them. He demonstrated his power for them by parting a sea so that they could walk across on dry ground. He gave them food in the form of manna and quail. He produced water from a rock. He performed incredible miracles. He revealed himself to them, but it wasn't enough for them. They continued to worship the gods as they had seen the Egyptians do in rebellion of the one true God. It was also there in the wilderness that God gave the Israelite people the law. And this law would make them, if they would follow it, it would make them a great nation. It would make them healthier than all the people of all the nations around them. It would make them stronger. It would make their crops more productive if they would just follow the law. But they rebelled against the law and they rebelled against God. So God established a new ruling order. God placed over them judges and he gave them prophets and the judges would protect them and, and keep them holding according to the law. And The prophets would deliver messages from God. God also taught them to build a tabernacle, a tent out in the middle of the wilderness. And if they could go into this tabernacle and meet with God, similar to the way that Moses met with, the burning, with God in the burning bush. Within the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. This meeting place with God and these signs to represent his presence in that meeting place. There was so much rebellion among the Israelites that eventually God determined that that generation had to pass away before he would eventually allow the Israelites to enter into the promised land, to enter into Canaan. And so God rose up a new leader named Joshua, to take over after Moses had died. And Joshua carried the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. The first city that they encountered when they entered the Promised Land was Jericho. And God would again remind them that it is him who would lead them. It is him who will protect them. And God destroyed the city of Jericho. He destroyed their walls and destroyed their people himself. And God's incredible power would allow them to spread throughout the nation of Cana and to build what we now know as the nation of Israel there. But because the people were unhappy that they, they wanted to be like the nations around them, they began to demand of God a king. And God said, no, I'm your king. You don't want another, you don't want a human king. I'm your king. I have given you the judges and I have given you the prophets. This is a better way, trust me. If you have a king, he's just going to use you. But they demanded it. So God gave them King Saul to prove that he was right. King Saul would become a horrible king, almost like the slave drivers in Egypt. And King Saul eventually would need to be replaced, so God raised up a new king through the prophet Samuel. And the new king was named David. David was faithful. Much more like Abraham and Noah, David was faithful to God. And David was faithful in the shepherd's field. He was a shepherd where he learned to play the harp. And God would use this incredible talent of music to help him to write the psalms, the songs that we still sing today. He also was faithful in the shepherd's fields as he learned how to fight with a sling. He fought a lion and a bear, defended his sheep. He eventually used that skill to feed Goliath. And the people of Israel loved David who rescued them from the Philistines. And he would eventually become the king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, David led Israel to a place of incredible power. They became a superpower in the region with incredible technological advancement. And so David told God, I want, to, I want everybody to remember that it's you that we serve. God, can I replace your tent with a temple? I want to build a temple on Mount Moriah, the same mountain where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And so God told David, we will build the temple, but it won't be you. You you had too much military conquest. There's too much blood on your hands. And so it will be your son, Solomon, who will build my temple. And so Solomon took over as king after David passed away. and, And Solomon built the temple of God in Jerusalem. Solomon was incredibly wise, incredibly wealthy. He wrote the wisdom books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. The wisdom that we still rely on today was written by this man thousands of years ago. Solomon had namely two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam and Rehoboam would fight against each other like Cain and Abel did. And they would fight for control of the nation of Israel. And one of them would become the king of half of the nation, and the other one would become the king of the other half of the nation, and they would split the nation in two. And it would become Israel and Judah, two different nations. Eventually, the sin just ran rampant among the kings. These kings were immoral and unfaithful. Their sons would be immoral and unfaithful. Those sons would be immoral and unfaithful. And over and over and over again, the prophets warned them, if you are not faithful to God, he will allow outside armies to come in, attack, and defeat you. Because up until this point, he's been protecting you, but you can't do it without him. They said, just hold on. Someday he will bring you a new king, a better king, a messiah. The prophets told them, just be faithful to God. Just wait for him. He's got a way. He will bring you a new king, a Messiah, to set you free. To establish you as an incredible superpower in the world. But they couldn't wait. And they kept sinning. So eventually, God would allow the Assyrians to come in and defeat the northern kingdom, Israel. And then eventually, he would allow the Babylonians to come in and defeat the southern kingdom, Judah. We call this the Babylonian captivity. As Babylon entered Judah and took from it all of the best and brightest young men of Jerusalem. And they carried them off to Babylon. And it's there in Babylon that we read of incredible faithfulness of Israelites like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were faithful to God even when they were thrown in the fiery furnace. It is there in Babylon that we read the incredible faithfulness of Daniel who with incredible wisdom was raised up as a man of great power in the nation of Babylon. And as kings came and went in the nation, he remained in power. So much so that the other leaders in Babylon were jealous of Daniel. So they threw him in a a lion's den to be killed, but God protected him in the lion's den. Eventually, a king Cyrus would come into power in Babylon and allow the nation of Israel to return back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of their city and rebuild the temple in their city. So they returned home and they rebuilt They thought it was their own strength they were building in. They ignored God and they continued to sin. So eventually God allowed another great nation to come in and conquer Israel. And Rome would take over and would control, not to carry the Israelites to their own nation, but instead to occupy the nation of Israel. And it was in this time that the people of Israel became desperate for a king of Israel who would revolt against Rome and would raise them up as a superpower again. So the prophets foretold of this Messiah and they began looking for the Messiah. And many people would come and claim to be that Messiah. And in doing so, they would rally a great force to try through military might to overcome the Roman Empire and all the other powers in the area. But time and time again, they were proved not to be the Messiah when they would lose and eventually die. Until an angel appeared to a young Israelite teenage girl named Mary, a descendant of David. And he would tell her that she would give birth to the Messiah because she was faithful. She was picked. She was chosen to be part of this long thread that runs throughout history of faithfulness. Those people who would remain faithful to God. She was picked just as Abraham was and Noah was and David was. And she gave birth to Jesus. We don't know a lot about the life of Jesus as a as a young boy or as a teenager, When we really begin to learn about Jesus, it is a scene of him and John the Baptist, his cousin, a prophet, foretelling the arrival of the Messiah. John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. And Jesus would go on to perform incredible miracles that could not be faked. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies of the prophets who said what the Messiah would be like and where he would come from and who he would be born to. And Jesus proved he was the Messiah when the Romans killed him and he rose from the dead. Because Jesus was able to do what no other man was able to do, even if they claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus proved that he was God's plan to redeem the world, to take things back to the way things were in the garden. Because if you read the story of the Old Testament, you recognize that it's all one big arrow pointing forward to Jesus. And then if you read the New Testament, you realize that it's all one big arrow pointing back to Jesus. It's the reason why we tell time the way we do. Count our calendar the way we do. Because Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, it changed everything. Because he died and rose from the dead, it changed everything when it was undeniable that Jesus rose the witnesses of the event couldn't come up to with no other explanation than the fact that he really was the Messiah and so they began to follow him thousands and thousands and thousands of people who began to follow Jesus and he ascended to heaven but his followers stayed faithful to him in fact, they were so faithful to what had happened that they wrote down the stories. Four of Jesus' followers wrote what we call the Gospels. And it's just four versions of Jesus' story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then more of Jesus' followers would write more to us about things that he had taught and things that they had learned from him. And prophecies that he would, had given about the future. You got Peter. Peter. Paul. They would write to us about how we as followers of Christ can represent him well, how we can become the people that he created to be him. He created us to be. And then he prophesied to us that not only would his movement grow, but it would grow to such an extent that it would eventually usher in his return. That someday Jesus himself will come back to the world to live with his people just as he had in the garden. That we would be back the way things were meant to be all along. Time and time again we see God raising up faithful people to be a part of his story. And those faithful people, those people who were friends of Jesus, who had interacted with Jesus, would go to their death because they refused to deny that what they saw happen actually happened. And many of them, as as more of them would write down the stories of what had happened and the teachings that Jesus had taught, more and more of them would die in order to defend this book because the kings of the world saw this book as a threat. So they they needed to burn it. They needed to wipe out all the followers. They needed to kill all the followers. Yet they just kept dying to preserve this library of books we call the Bible. To give it to you. Because they wanted the Bible for you to be an invitation. To the same faithfulness that the, the heroes of the Bible had. And not just to read it and think it's a good book but to see it as our story to invite us into that faithfulness that allows us to be in the story because history is his story and he invites us to it. So we don't read the Bible as outsiders looking in as, as observers who are admiring, looking at the admirable things that people had done. Instead, we see it as a calling to be a part of it, to enter into to it. If you're standing on the outside looking in today, the invitation to faithfulness is to say, yes, I'm in. I want God to pick me as one of those to carry on the story. That long thread of faithfulness will run through me. It's an invitation So as for the next few weeks, we talk about this incredible book and next week we're gonna talk about why we should trust it. We're gonna talk about how we should read it. That's how I'd invite you to read it. As your story, it can help you become the person that he created you to be. So lean in and be thankful for what he's called us to. God, I thank you that you are the great orchestrator that you are moving everything into place to make things the way you created them to be. Help us to more fully surrender, to become more faithful to your plan. God, I pray that you would give anybody today who feels like they are not part of your plan to have the courage to say yes to you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.